welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. I'm your host, Julian Gudelai, and today I'm here with Dr. Sangeeta Sahi. She is the founder of the Unified Human Foundation, an integrative medical doctor and a longevity consultant. I'm super excited to be talking with you today, Dr. Sangeeta. Welcome. Thank you, Julian. I, I hope I'm saying your name correctly. My pronunciation isn't as good as yours, but I'm, I'm really pleased to be on the show and thank you for inviting me. Yeah, of course. And I'm really excited to, to hear more about both your work as an integrative medical doctor, right? And then also mm -hmm. what you founded with the, found, uh, the foundation around the unified human movement. And, you know, this is, this is the, the core theme of, of this podcast, uh, talking about a healthier world is, is how do we gather to actually bring our true potential to expression? And um, I know you're, you're, you know, a trailblazer and building something substantial here. But I'd love to know when it clicked for you, where it started in your journey that you're like, this is my mission, my dharma. This is why, um, this is why I support planet Earth and the, the creation of a more conscious society. Julian, it didn't happen like that for me. There was no like instant click because yeah. um, I come from four generations of medical doctors. Mm -hmm. So my click was much more around the origin of disease. I really wanted to know how and where and why disease began. And that was really the beginning of my journey, asking that question and going into it on a, on a very deep level, I must say, very early on. Because as soon as I finished med school, um, I was having, during med school, I was having some very interesting spiritual experiences where there was quite a bit of spontaneous healing going on with my patients. Um, and that is very interesting when you come from a pretty scientific background and you are in your final year clinics in med school and you've got patients that are not, that are bypassing the junior and senior consultants and they want to come and talk to you and see you. And you don't really understand why, because you're not really permitted to prescribe anything um, medicinal, um, but more or less it was, but they, they kept coming and they were like, they said, we want to see, we want to see you. We feel better after we, we've seen you. And then the health changed and I was able to track some of them. So I was very interested in how all of this occurs, especially when you, you, you're not that um, knowledgeable or conscious about what's going on, but you know something's going on. So after that, after I finished med school, I decided that I was going to go down the spiritual consciousness route. And I worked with some pretty amazing spiritual, I don't even want to call them teachers. They were beyond that. They were, I don't even want to give them the name masters because even that, does not justify just no labels at all they were they yeah. came they appeared in the moment when you were ready to receive the next step perfect perfect really and truly um mm -hmm. and they were amazing beings and most of them are no longer on the planet they've transitioned um and i had again much much more profound and more systematic spiritual experiences um, that's also when I became a Kundalini yoga teacher and I learned mm. tantric numerology. So I went through that very amazing, intuitive left brain experiences. Um, and then I decided, okay, this was not, this was not enough. 
because my left brain was kind of lagging behind and it was well we need we need we need a more holistic um approach where we can also talk with some sort of comprehensible language that other people can understand to maybe communicate some of these experiences and in a way that has some form and train of logic to it so i started working with quantum physicists at that mm. time and with biophysicists and it was wonderful because we were doing these incredibly fun experiments in real time because there was the machinery the equipment to be able to see the esoteric energetic chakra systems of the body and also the meridian systems in the body and the frequencies that were moving through the cells um and we did quite a few amazing actually experiments when i look back um on how uh doing certain activities and behaviors actually in real time changed and altered these frequency ranges that were moving through the cells so we did experiments with breath work we did experiments with um asanas yogic postures mm -hmm. we did experiments with prayer we did experiments with um uh affirmations we did experiments with um abuse like using verbal abuse um so it wasn't all just hey it's all going to be the pure good light stuff but also we wanted to see the changes when right, it was real science it was tra exactly. tracking tracking what was going on and 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 finding an empiric uh, set of data to it that's brilliant exactly and then we also did some fabulous experiments which people absolutely love hearing about with with animals especially with pets um mm. pets who were not very well and giving them reiki and seeing mm. the difference in in effects um before and after um and obviously the the results were pretty amazing mm. um and very uh equivocal in the sense that there's proof there there's evidential mm. proof that this is real this is how do you measure just... reiki yeah that would be interesting to understand like i you know I'm, i could see how that um, would create really positive results but i'm curious to how you were able to measure it like what would be the parameters of that We didn't, Julian. We didn't measure the Reiki. We measured the effect on the animals. So what we would look at was the frequency picture of what was going on before the Reiki was given, mm -hmm. and then what would happen afterwards. Because in truth, it's a whole thing. You can't separate. What are the effects and influences? So you've got the effect of the and and the being of the animal itself. Then you've got the effect of the healer that's coming in to do the reiki. Then you've got the the effect of the environment around and the influences. And then, which most people do not take into account, is actually the influence of time energy. Mm. So what happened in that time window compared to if we did everything the same? but in a different time window you would see different results right. so that was also very pertinent um 
And then from there, I went on my own journey and I decided that I was going to study epigenetics, which is the, um, the effect of the environment and external factors on um, genetic expression. Mm-hmm. And I also studied nutrigenomics, which is the effect of nutrition on genetic expression. And I studied something called psychoneuroendocrinoimmunology, which is how thoughts actually affect our endocrine, nervous, and immune system. So there is like a very clear, clearly mapped out biochemical pathway, which again shows the effects and the changes um, with with the biochemistry of the of the human body. And then with the quantum physics, I added on because I want to make it very clear mm. to your audience that um, spirituality is a very open system. It's something that is unlimited. It's infinite. It will just continue, continue, continue. Whereas science, whether it be linear science or whether it be quantum physics, or now we're going into hadronic physics, whatever it may be, it's still going to have its limitations based around the equipment that we have to be able to verify what spiritualists and intuitives may already know as real. And this is such an interesting um, you know, part of where science is catching up with what you said, intuitives or spiritualists kind of already always knew. And this goes very much for the, the work with indigenous people across South America that um, we've been you know, doing interviews about, but also that our big theme of events I host is that science is just catching up with age old knowledge. And, you know, especially the um, yeah, the, the scientificism, right? The, the establishment behind science is kind of um, just about to let go of those old paradigms. And so there's there's a lot waiting for us as we collectively step forward into, um, you know, a time where, you know, the health of the planet, the well-being of each other, the animals and the plants are going to be the most uh, important parameter rather than just the financial wealth of the few. So I'm really curious in that, in that um, equation where unified human foundation started to become an entity and 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 how that um how that supports the mission you're on uh, with your work at at large okay so what happened was you thank you for bringing up the indigenous because um i ended up i was teaching and living in many different countries and i was tapping into different healing modalities and technologies because whether it's shamanic, whether it's plant medicine, whether it's Ayurveda, whether it's uh, traditional Chinese medicine, I've dabbled in all of them. And I've understood from, a, I think, quite a deep perspective, a lot of this. Um, and what I realized is that it's all here. I mean, especially when you start studying deeply Ayurveda or the shamanic path or the plants. It's everything that we need as remedy, whether it's for our mind, whether it's for our body, whether it's for our nutrition, is all here. It may not be accessible, but it is all here. And it's here because we as a human species require it. 
So if we are to live and thrive on this planet that we call home, we have to have everything that we need in mm. order to do that. Well said, yeah, yeah. And therefore, it's all here. So it's a question then of looking for it and being actually not even looking for it, Julian. It's a question of my path started when I just loved the planet. I love this mm. planet. I'm not, it, it, curiosity comes for me after love. And so loving and seeing the planet as it is in its beauty, in its creativity, in its destruction, in, in its transformative, transformational and transformative capacity mm. made me really, really curious as to this incredible, highly sophisticated complexity and diversity, which actually, truly speaking, we know so little about. And yet our egos feel that we know so much. So there was that humility, let's say, and curiosity to understand and learn more. And also, I'm very much um, an individual scientist too. I like to experiment on myself. Mm. So I like to experiment whether it's with foods, whether it's with different plants, whether it's with oils, whether it's with herbs. I would not give anything to my patient or my clients mm. until I've already taken it and I know what effect it has on the body. So... How did my journey start? I already had a very deep connection with the planet. And then slowly, slowly, I was I started working with NGOs, NGOs in in Africa, in India, in um, New Mexico, in, in Northern America. And I began to with and they were mainly quite a lot of them are indigenous oriented. Um, and I started looking at their communities, at their lifestyles, at their real wisdom, knowledge and teachings. And it made my heart sing. It was really mm. very simple. It was very heart oriented. I can Everything very much that relate I... to that. Yeah. Exactly. It was, we, we're going from actually still an intuitive science-based integrative medicine, but connecting it also with a very heart-centered and heart-focused healing. Because for me, that's the difference between modern medicine and healing, is that heart-centeredness rather than just the head-centeredness. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the research body you mentioned earlier reminded me quite a bit of HeartMath uh, Institute and, and the, its heart intelligence research because, you know, that's a whole other layer of our true power is what we would be birthed from the heart. As you said, like there's no coincidence that you um, started sharing that you fell in love with mother earth. And from that love, everything else gets nourished and then it gets created. Absolutely. And I think that's honestly, that may not be the path for many people, but it was definitely my path. Mm. Um, I believe it's going to become the path for more and more people because really um, we know from so many people that go down the, you know, let's call it the old paradigm or the more classical approach or the very materialistic approach that even if you win that game, at the end of that game, um, 
there is this longing for more, for more uh, meaning, connection, depth, dharma, whatever we want to call it, purpose that is deeper than just accumulation, um, right? And so that has, it's kind of shown itself as possibly the limit of what you call like the, the egoic consciousness. Um, I'm curious what the mission is for the Unified Human Foundation and what the what are the next steps ahead of you and if you were to share a little bit about, about that mission and, and how to activate and empower more people to come on board. Okay, so one of the things that became very clear to me, um, whether it was through my own experience and a lot of it, I want to be clear, is based around my own personal life experiences. It's not something that I read out of a textbook. It's not something that other people told me, even though they did. I had a lot of incredible um, people that I met along the way, but it was my own personal journey. Like you said, how did it click? Well, it's been one thing after another. It's been a flow. It's never been like a separation for me in my life. Um, and for the Unified Human Foundation, it came to a point where I had was putting so much of my own resources into doing the work that I was doing with NGOs that it came time to create an infrastructure through which we could really take it to another level. And that was how I, you know, the structure of the Unified Human Foundation came. And I do want to again clarify, it was inspired. It was not something that I set out to do. It was inspired um, the name was inspired. The structure was inspired. In fact, when I first registered it as a charity in the UK, the UK Charities Commission took nine months to pass the structure because they said we've oh, never wow. seen a structure like this before. It's, it's a new. It's, it's, it works on so many different platforms mm. because most charities in the UK work on only one thing. What we created or what was inspired in, in the structure of the Unified Human Foundation was a tri-platform, um, which was uh, the mission statement is Unified Human Foundation supports projects which unify human beings with nature and through those projects with each other. So the the focus is very much on the planet. And one of the things that became very clear to me, this planet does not belong to us. This planet belongs to the plants and the animals. We will come and go. They're the ones that mutate, evolve, and diversify. Oh, that's a very interesting revelation when that yes. when that sets in. I I live in the Pacific Northwest of um, you know Canada. And or, or North America and on, on Vancouver Island, Songhees First Nations territory. And, uh, you know, um, this is technically just a, about 150 years old in colonialized, um, uh, you know, in the colonialized paradigm. And so there was this moment a, a few weeks ago, not that my mind couldn't have understood this before, but it kind of like dropped into my body like a, like a truth that there's trees around me here. There's trees alive that have been not just alive before the first Westerners came, but that have been alive to witness a whole other paradigm of human living and thriving. Those trees are still standing, you know, un unless they're they're taken down to, to become a table, um, you know, which is one of those 
ecological responsibilities we have to really become aware of that there's a true cost to nature not just the linear spreadsheet cost right and so when that clicked uh that these trees are not just older than me they're not just going to be here after i uh, passed on but they actually already saw different iterations of human society i mean maybe trees don't see but they feel but um, they definitely were there for it. So it, it's it's quite an interesting, fascinating um, mindset to to let let that drop in into a holistic understanding, right? So it then nourishes and um, guides our next steps, our next expressions. Because as you said, there's a bigger picture of nature at play here. We're a part of it. Um, we're not we're not here to just take dominate and leave again. Julian, did you know that there are certain species of butterfly which have thousands of eyes and they actually hear color and hear light. I didn't know. <laughs> That's news for me that they had thousands of eyes. I, I do believe that I've heard animals might be hearing color before. Um, that is the, you know, that's definitely the not normal box for most humans. But if you've ever experimented with plant medicine in a you know, conscious context or well-guided context, those things can occur. Yeah, yeah, that's it's quite funny. Not just that, Julian. Babies hear color. Mm. That's that's scientifically validated. It's not something wow. I'm making up. Yes, that's oh, also you did not know me. that. I didn't you know didn't that. Know babies that. hear color. Walk yes. us through it. How does that work? No, no, no. Because a baby's consciousness is not separated. It's still whole. Mm, right. So as it's whole, whatever stimuli are coming in through mm. its senses. It cannot separate and differentiate whether it's through the ears or whether it's through the eyes or whether it's through the mouth. You know, they're just blobs of consciousness, basically. Mm -hmm. So, and they are actually completely pure, if you want to think about it in that way, because they're still undifferentiated. Mm -hmm. At least their, their, um, their behavior, their, how they participate in life and engage with life is still undifferentiated. So therefore... They, they, it's a proven fact. They, they hear color mm. and they see sound, which actually, when you think about it in terms of light is not such a big deal, honestly. When you... Yeah, it, it isn't. I mean, the whole <laughs> idea that we're, we're only seeing this very, very limited part of the spectrum of light, um, you know, that, that alone should, should help us to as you said, reconnect to the humility, um, you know, the, the humus, the earth that we're really from and understand that there's a lot more out there than we can, you know, usually in the normal box perceive. I'm curious now that you brought up kids, uh, Dr. Sankita, I'm going to jump. I'm going to ask you a question. If you were to either single-handedly or with a chosen team of experts, if you were to revolutionize the education system, give us a few pointers, what would you do? Okay, there's one thing that I would definitely do is make... Yeah education far more experiential mm. than book learning. I really do understand the value of learning through books and reading and sparking the imagination, but mm. I also know from my own work and history I have, I not only have a, a medical degree, but I also have a business degree. Um, and I've studied an awful lot, but my real knowledge and training came when I started working with people directly or with whatever you want to call it, the, the plants, the animals, etc. because that's what's real. That's where you really learn. That's what 
um, the ancients called the real wisdom comes from knowledge that has been processed and digested, not just things that you read on the internet mm -hmm. or things that you read in books. Right. You've got to have lived it to really know it. That's the knowing. Yeah, like words don't teach, life experience teaches. Like words can inspire, exactly. right? You could listen to this conversation and then realize you want to, um, you know, go outside and connect with the forest. And, and then that, that experience would teach. Uh, experiential learning, brilliant. So what, Julian, what else? can I also add a little oh, here? Of course, you can ask um, questions too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when we talk about language, mm. mostly we talk about the English language. And we actually really forget that there are many Eastern languages and Middle Eastern languages which are multidimensional. One word means so many different things. And it all depends on the context that it's used in. Mm -hmm. So we always look at English and English is not really a multidimensional language. It's Agreed. actually... so. In that way, you, we always, we, when we speak in English, we limit ourselves anyway. Um, we really so, do. And we also kind of lock in on the logic brain component of, you know, the human experience. Um, that being said, in the near future, um, there will be a short stint of Spanish-speaking episodes uh, of interviews on Green Planet, Blue Planet. So if that's something you listening are enjoying stay tuned because we are about to start recording them um, as i'm talking to dr sankita today because it's quite interesting that english continues to be the dominating language um, but it's really just a meeting point of all of our cultures right it's not it's not necessarily the the the, the end all there's there's more tell us more about these ancient languages that have <laughs> multi-dimensional aspects i'm curious well, you, you sanskrit and, uh, and other sanskrit, languages sanskrit party in in southern uh, southern hemisphere yeah exactly um, and then of course the japanese and the japanese mm -hmm. is actually the origins are sanskrit and then you've got um, arabic you've got hebrew right hebrew you've for got sure. turkish You've got mm. all these languages that are very multidimensional and they're fluid. So if you if you actually start talking in those, it's very interesting because we haven't done them, but that's something I do want to do is see the frequencies change when people use different languages. That would be I fascinating for someone like me. I um, <laughs> yeah, no, I would love to see the, the frequency change of when the language shifts. Um, and also, what do you, you think know, you would happen? <laughs> well, I, I don't, I don't, I think that a lot of these Asian languages are very fluidy and, and they, mm. when you start talking in those languages, your body movements and behavior changes automatically. You become more flexible, you, you become more playful, you become, you know, so I see that in myself when I, when I go to India and I do some work there, or even, you know, if I, I was in Mexico recently And it, it was the same. It's a different, it's a completely different mm. fluidity. And you, you, they, and you process information differently as well. And there's also a poetry, which is metaphysical anyway, Julian, mm -hmm. that comes with all of this interplay. It's actually, you know, in, in Hinduism, they have 
very much the gods and goddesses and Shiva and Lord Krishna, they play. They don't rule. Hmm. They play. Which is a very different mindset and attitude compared to, say, Western Europe or Northern America, which is much more about power and ruling. Hmm. Whereas here we've got it's more about playing because the concept is that everything is changing anyway. Right. What are you going to dominate? What can you control? What was the Sanskrit word for plague? And I believe it was Leela, if I'm not exactly. mistaken, right? Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's interesting that you bring that up because for me, that ties back into the experiential learning that, you know, not just children, but all adults uh, thrive in, in most is when there's a, a multidimensionality. So the logic brain maybe gets satisfied in a few quotation marks here, subjects or classes. Um, but then the creative, the playful, the expressive, the more fluid side gets stimulated in, but in, that's in where other subjects, yeah. Other sorry, moments. that's where nature comes in. Hmm. So I've seen absolute, and this will be no surprise for you, that you take somebody with mental health issues or depression or something, and you just put them directly in nature. You see how they change without you having done anything at all. Mm-hmm. And I used to do that with a lot of my retreats. I've chosen and we've curated in the foundation the NGOs and the projects that we want to support. And each one of them has volunteering facilities so that people can actually go there and work with them in a very safe and regulated environment, but really play. Yeah, that play in nature, that is what would you know, we do at our retreats as well. And it, it does really reconnect us to what you said, that natural intelligence, or I, I've called it organic intelligence before, just like, like many people out there. It's, it's a term that, that maybe will become on vogue, uh, you know, step, step by step. And, and people, people will, will understand that rather than looking for the AI, the artificial intelligence, let's look for the other AI, the ancient intelligence, that organic energy that, that, you know, is, it feels like it's booting up in, in many people over the last I love that. Uh, last years. Yeah. I hadn't you you just brilliant. I just had that super AI, ancient intelligence. Fabulous. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that if you Yeah, it's definitely didn't originate in, in my in my mind right now, but it's it's a it's a terminology that's that's been flying around in, in, in some communities and you know it's it's definitely useful to play with words that, as you said, make meaning and that meaning then either reduces the reality that becomes possible or creates a playing field, right? And so, um, especially when it comes to the mix or the, the the place where tech and nature both can exist because they're all ultimately still connected. But I do believe that there is a more ancient, a more organic, a more um, nature-based intelligence that that this planet is really wanting to talk to us through this nature-based intelligence. It's alive in all of us. It's it's alive in all of the scriptures of all the ancient cultures. It's alive in all of the indigenous uh, cultures and, and their, their storytelling. And so, yeah, you know, part of why this show was started was to continue dialogues about it. Um, but I know that with the Unified Human Foundation, you're going into a new chapter and you're, you're launching a community and you're wanting to gather more people to be both uh, exposed to learning together, but also to, to simply to simply know that that there is community, there is support. There are many people on this journey at this point. 
Absolutely. You want to share a little bit more about uh, that step of Unified Human, Humans um, platform? Yes, we've just launched um, Unified Human Foundation, the ecosystem. And it's um, community by membership um, through which it's $9 a month. Uh, the money goes to the projects that we're supporting. And through that membership ecosystem, we are, it's a platform where we are presenting experts from permaculture, from soil, from sustainability, from uh, biomimicry, from uh, climate change issues, from communities, indigenous um, mm. spokespeople, and ancient wisdom teachings, to be able to um, make us more aware, not just with knowledge, but also with experience. And that's why I wanted these experts, people who've got real um, uh, ground-rooted knowledge mm -hmm. and experience. And then it's also a platform for exchange and finding out and tracking and contributing to the projects that we're supporting. And it's also a platform for spiritual growth and consciousness as a community. I do, I lead a lot of meditational practices and consciousness practices, which I will be sharing with the ecosystem community. Um, so it's very exciting. We're super excited about launching this. Along with that, Unified Human Foundation is also partnering with the World Happiness Foundation. Mm -hmm. And um, we've designed, actually, uh, Unified Human Foundation designed a summit called the Mothership Earth Summit, which is wonderfully supported um, by the, the theme is designing a new planetary narrative. And it's a hybrid summit um, online and in person. We've got an incredible uh, community of speakers who are major experts in their fields and they've been doing this work their whole lives. So we've got people like Vandana Shiva, we've got mm -hmm. people like Jeremy Narby, who is an evolutionary biologist and anthropologist. Really we've great got... book called The Cosmic Serpent. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. And he was actually the one that told me that sheep recognize faces. Did you know that? I didn't know that, but I'm not surprised either. I mean, you know, in general, our underestimation of the animal kingdom is one of the biggest flaws of the arrogance of the, the human ego society. Like, you know, we, we, we still pretend animals are things at, at a large scale, right? And most people um, probably don't think animals are things, but we make them so if we treat them like that, just like trees or plants. And, and, and so that there is a, an advanced intelligence, including in simple animals like sheep doesn't fully surprise me i mean crows well, very know how to, how to recognize you by face over years right they if you've ever been to vancouver and met, met some <laughs> of the crows they remember man it's it's crazy it's it's literally like you can tell that they have a, a perception about you that that kind of um at the very minimum is different than our perception of the space obviously they're flying so it's 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 a bit different but back to jeremy narvi and the uh, the sheep 
<laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's very practical. It's like yeah. they have to know which herd they belong to. So they right. have to recognize faces. Otherwise, they'll get lost and, and get caught up in a different herd. So mm. it's actually survival as well as obviously evolutionary adaptation. Mm. So um, we've, got, uh, we've got a ton of amazing consciousness speakers. Professor Richard Tarnas from CIIS, which is the, um, the, the Center for Integral Studies. Um, and we've got, oh my God, we've got, who else have we got? We've got indigenous spokespeople. We've got Teshe Teshe, um, who is uh, from the West African diaspora. We've got a wonderful speaker from the Navajo community. Um, we've got uh, Becca Tarnas. We've got uh, Janine Benius, who I'm sure you're aware of. She is the godmother of biomimicry. And according to the Biomimicry Institute, our planet is 36 billion years old. Hmm. That's pretty amazing. That's a bit older than, than most other estimations. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, there's there's a lot to learn for us going forward. I, you know, if you haven't haven't yet checked it out, Unified Human Foundation, go check it out. Uh, Dr. Sankita, I have a question for you for, you know, um, the creative heart in you. What's your dream for this planet and for our species? If we were to zoom out on the timeline a little bit and say, these next seven generations, what's your dream? What are we going to leave for them? What are we here to do so that they can, that they have a life? I think actually, honestly, this planet is going to be fine. Mm -hmm. It's us. The planet existed before we came here. It will continue to exist. My dream is that we go, first of all, from a mindset of exploitation to a mindset of nurturing. And I truly believe that mm. working with the planet, we've always, you know, the ancient wisdom teachings, Julian, have always said that this is Mother Earth. Well, maybe now it's time for us to mother Earth well, rather so. than constantly want to be mothered by her. So mm -hmm. I think that one of the functions of this amazing planet and for us to be here, and as time is changing and paradigms are shifting and consciousness is shifting, that's all great. But ultimately, I think we have to learn how to support her and learn from her how she is, how she behaves, and learn how we can support and nurture her. And through that, we are going to evolve very, very naturally anyway. Because she, we're not, you know, people believe that we are evolving and we're, we're, we're an evolutionary race of beings, but we, we can't leave her behind. And my thought is that she's so multidimensional that she's already evolved into different dimensions, which maybe we have not evolved into, that we cannot touch that. We cannot participate in that realm. And she may already be there. 
the planet that we think that we live on may actually just be an illusion. So there are many kind of, um, and I think that as we evolve in our scientific knowledge, as well as our wisdom, we're going to be able to, whether it's through extrasensory perception um, or through a shift in consciousness or through um, scientific equipment, I think we're going to be able to see how many parts of our own selves as a collective exist already mm. in different realms of her not just us flying into the ethers that we think we right. are. Maybe we're still on her, yeah. with her, and she's already flown off into the ethers. So I think it's a unit. I don't mm. think it's a separation. And I think that's what we really need to apply in this dimension. This mm. realm of 3D is what we need to bring back. And... Through that, I think that we're going to realize that we're already very, very connected and working with whether it's extraterrestrial beings, whether it's um, different parts of the cosmos, that we're already interacting and bringing through different information and knowledge and all sorts of stuff. Mm. But I think in order for that to really... Um, show itself and express itself fully, we need to open our hearts. Mm, we need to well look at things in a different way, Julian, mm -hmm. because it's already there. It's not something that we need to create. We just need to see it. We need to experience it. Mm. And just like the, the butterfly has a thousand eyes with, you know, seeing, seeing color, um, maybe that's what happens when we open our heart, right? We, we open another set of eyes that has a, a way different perspective on what you just named multidimensionality. I, I follow, I like it. What a beautiful way to close this podcast because I know there's so much more uh, that you could share and there there's so much more in the ecosystem that you're building that people can learn. Or as we said, maybe not, you know, words don't teach, but it, they will definitely inspire and then they inspire you to make your own experiences. For now, Dr. Sankita, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for making the time and for sharing your heart and your wisdom. Um, thank you. Julian, I thank you and I thank your audience and listeners for sharing their time in listening and in giving me their and us their attention. And I look forward to having more conversations with you. Thank you.